All right, good morning. If you would, turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. And as I learned this week, some people call it Habakkuk. There will be a formal debate on which one it is later on. It has been a real uh, pleasure for me. It's been it's been a real joy studying this and um, confirmation that the entire Word of God is inspired and it's useful and it's sufficient for all the things in our lives um, and. I, I'm really glad that we decided to do this, that God led us to go through this book. And um, if, you, if you haven't been here, Nate and I are going through this book together and, and preaching through it. And the last, I did the first four verses, I did an introduction in the first four verses, and then he did verses 5 through 11. And so now we're going to move on into that. And before we get started, just just let me go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your many blessings. I thank you for the teaching we heard this morning by Paul and just uh, the edification that it is, the reminder to be pointed to your word. God, let us always exalt your word. Let us always turn to it for our answers about you and how we should live our life for you. I thank you for the song service that we had, and God, I thank you for the gift of music, for allowing us those gifts. I thank you for the gifted people we have here, and just for for the songs of praise that you've given us, and I pray, Lord, that um, you would continue to develop that. I thank you for your word, and for this book in particular, Habakkuk, and I pray, God, as, as we look at these at this section of Scripture, that you would speak through your Holy Spirit to our hearts, that we would better know you, God, that we would better understand how we are to submit to you and how we are to live our lives in accordance with your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so the first four verses, I'm going to give you a little review here. The first four verses of Habakkuk, we have this prophet. And if you remember, we don't know very much about him. Very Nowhere else in Scripture do we see anything about him, any kind of um, lineage or anything like that. We do know, and I want you to remember this, that his, mean, his name means embracer or the embracer of God. So that's going to be important later. But Habakkuk here is asking the question... He's asking, why haven't you dealt with the injustice that we have in this world? Why do you let sin reign in this world? And he was specifically talking about the nation of Israel, because at this time, the nation of Israel was running amok. It was after Habakkuk was probably born in the golden age under the king Josiah, 
and things were great. Idolatry was wiped out. Josiah was doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. But then his son Jehoiakim takes over. And Habakkuk is now, Jehoiakim did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord. And Habakkuk's living in this time where Israel is in all manner of idolatry and living in um, all states of sin. And for a righteous person, for somebody who loves God, living amongst that is a burden. And that's what the scripture said. He said he had a burden. And he's asking God, why haven't you dealt with this injustice? Why do you let this sin reign? Why don't you deliver your people out of this sinful lifestyle? And then verses 5 through 11, we have the Lord's answer. His answer was, I'm going to do something you won't even believe. I'm going to explain this to you, and it's so, it, it, you're not even going to believe it. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, and they are going to come in as vile heathens and punish the nation of Israel. And, and just so you know, the, the Chaldeans is basically Babylon. The Chaldeans come up, and it's the nation of Babylon, and this is going to happen. Um, with, we'll see it later in Scripture with Nebuchadnezzar, and, or, and when they take the Israel captive, and that's where you get the book of Daniel and all of those things. But he says, I'm going to raise them up. And, and go back up there in a few of these verses here. In, in verse 6, he says, Indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the be- breadth of the earth, to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. So they're going through the, through the earth, stealing the land, taking everything. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses are also swifter than leopard, leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings and princes or scorned by them. They deride every stronghold for they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. This, they're evil. It's an evil nation. It's about as evil as you can imagine. You can think back through history and find other things that were similar. Paul mentioned this morning uh, the Hitler. It's something like the Nazis here. It's like if, if radical Islam came marching through the United States, that's what this would be like. And they're cutting people's heads off, and they're taking anybody that seems to survive, they take them as captives and make them slaves. That's what this nation was. So there's one thing to learn here. Be careful what you ask for. Habakkuk says, why haven't you, why, why are you leaving us like this? And then God says, I'm not going to leave you that way. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm bringing these evil people in to judge you. And so, and that, so that brings us to our text today, starting in verse 12. So Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12, he says, are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One. So Habakkuk, First, he doesn't like the fact that Jesus or that God has not acted. And then when he gets the answer, 
what we're going to see here is he doesn't really like the answer either. Have you ever been there? I mean, it's real easy to look and be like, man, I back it. And Nate, you know, Nate talked last week or last last time about, did he forget about Joseph? Did he forget about Job? Well, and and that's true. Obviously, he he's complaining against God here. But the question I ask is, have we forgot about Joseph? And how through all the evil things, all the terrible, what looked terrible that was going on in Joseph's life, it was actually saving the nation of Israel, major blessings from God. Have we forgot about Job? But it, listen to his response. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord God, my God, my Holy One? And of course, this is a rhetorical question. Of course God is from everlasting. It's a claim and an affirmation of the fact that God has always been. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40 verse 28 says, Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary, his understanding is unsearchable. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God. Habakkuk here is making an appeal to who this God is. Who, and he's talking to God. I, I think I understand this, God. Are you not from everlasting? Of course he is. Look at, look at in, in 28. The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. He created it all. He is in absolute control of all of it. All of his creation. On the earth. Above the earth. He's in control. And look. He neither faints. Nor is weary. He does not get tired. This is the God who does not sleep. This is the God who does not get weary. He also doesn't get rushed by the time that he created. His understanding is unsearchable. We cannot grasp God. We can get a grasp, a grasp of God, but we will never, throughout eternity, we will never fully understand how magnificent He is. And so, as Habakkuk's looking at this, he says, Are you not from everlasting? And he says, he says, O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. He says, we shall, oh, I'm sorry. He says, we shall not die. We shall not die. So what is he talking about here? Habakkuk has just seen the truth of the judgment. He's a prophet, remember this. So he, he has just seen God's answer to the sin that is in the, in the world, the sin that is on, in the nation of Israel. And it is destruction coming from Babylon. But he says, we shall not die. Now he's not talking about we as individuals shall not die because obviously when Babylon invades Israel, there's going to be many people die. There's going to be a lot. But he's not talking about individually. 
He's talking about rather that God's Israel will not die. The promise that was made back with Abraham will carry forward through this judgment. Even though the terrible judgment, it's going to be bleak. It's going to be a dark time in Israel's history. The promise is still intact. Okay? He believes this. And he prophesies as much, but I'm not even sure, I'm not sure here that Habakkuk fully understands how that's going to come about. Remember, we're looking back. It's a lot easier, it's a lot more clear for us now who have seen Christ and have seen Him come and have seen His work completed and have had the apostles to expound on that. It's easier for us to understand what's going on even as Habakkuk is prophesying. Of what's going on. So I'm not sure he still fully understands it, but he does believe it. And so he prophesies this. And so as we go forward, just kind of keep that in mind. Um, there's, even with the prophets, there was cloudiness. And as we read the prophets, it's cloudy. The Christ is all through the Old Testament, but it's not as clear a picture as what we have now. And then he says, O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. And so his conversation turns towards the Chaldeans here. It's it's almost like as, as Habakkuk is talking with God, it's almost like he's getting it. It's turning in his mind as he's saying it out loud. Like he's starting to understand here. You have ordained them as judgment. And he calls God the rock. You've established them for reproof. You're from everlasting. I don't understand this. Have you ever had, a, have you ever had God answer a prayer? And he, comes, and he comes and he works in a way and you're going, I don't get it. I don't understand this at all. Why are you putting us through this trial? Why are you causing this sickness or this financial burden? Why? I think that's kind of what Habakkuk is here, except he's seeing it as for a whole nation. Why are you putting, why are you going to use this group of people to judge us? But he's, he, he recognizes here that God is the one who has established this. So then look at verse 13. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong... Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? This makes sense to me. Habakkuk is making sense to me in this statement. Wouldn't wouldn't we respond in a similar way? Okay, here's the United States. You're going to come under judgment. Here's your country. It's going to come under judgment, but we're going to use Islam to do it. So here comes... Iran, or we're going to use North Korea to do it. Here comes the nuclear weapons. And you're saying, okay, I know we've, I know we're bad, but I mean, Islam, look at what they, I mean, they absolutely are evil, right? I can see Habakkuk's point here. Why? He says, Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? This group of people's worse than us. I know we're bad. I know we're bad, but they're worse than us. Why would you use them? And he says, you, you are perfect, God. You can't look on sin. Why would you use this nation for judgment? 
And it's kind of, and then it kind of goes to this, back to the thing where I said, be careful what you ask for. He says, I know I asked for judgment, but this isn't what I had in mind. And remember the first, the first four verses when we went through that, we found that there's, it's, it's okay to question God and to, to, as far as to gain understanding. But what we're seeing here with Habakkuk is a questioning of God's ways. And we're all guilty of that. We all don't understand it. We question it. Even as we read the Old Testament sometimes and we see the way that God dealt with nations, it's easy for us to question that. But here, and, and so that's what we have here. I know I asked for judgment, God. This isn't what I had in mind. How many times do we pray and want God to intervene in our lives and we have it all worked out how I feel? Just do it this way, then we'll be good to go, right? We can just move forward. Okay, God, if you'll just work this thing out this way and my car's broke down, so if you could just, you know, provide the money for that car or I don't have a job, so but I really want this job. And God says, no, you're not going to have that job. I'm going to provide, but it's going to be through this one that you don't like. Or it's going to be through humility of somebody else giving you a car or giving you a ride or whatever it is. We have these ideas worked out when we pray on how, okay, God, if you'll just do it this way, it'll be good to go. But God says, no, my ways are higher than your ways, and I'm going to do it my way. And at the end of all of it. It's going to be for his glory. He says it's going to be for my glory. And you will understand later. Just as Joseph. Do you think Joseph understood when he was in the inner prison? He had done everything right. As far as I can tell. He had done everything right. He avoided Potiphar. Potiphar's wife wanted to have an affair with him. And he said no. And he got thrown in jail for it. And he was in there for years. Do you think while he was in there, he was happy about it? Just love being in inner prison. No. No, but he stayed, he held fast to the doctrine of God. And that's what Habakkuk is learning right here. Look at verses 14 through 17. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offering to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and merciless killing nations forever? And you can see in these four verses, Habakkuk really gives a great exposition of what man really is. He's talking about the Chaldeans here, but really what he's doing is he's describing mankind. Because the truth is, as we study scripture, we find out there is none righteous, right? No, not one. There's none that seek after God. We've all gone astray. All of our righteousness are like filthy rags before the throne, before God, right? There is no one righteous. So what he does here, he's describing the Chaldeans, but what he really does is describe 
mankind. He says, you've created men like fish. And then what, what happens? The Chaldeans come in and they, they bring them all up with a hook. They gather them up with a net. But the truth is, we're no better than the fish. We're like worms. We're like snakes. We're crawling on the ground, living in no accordance with God-given authority. He's describing the Chaldeans, and it's a very accurate description. But the truth is, it's our description as well, apart from Christ. Verse 16, he says, He sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his drag nets. This is a, this is a problem. As I was studying this, I, I realized it's probably more even in my life than I knew. And I was aware of it. But he's referring here to mankind depending too much on themselves. Too much on their skills. Too much on their strength. Too much on their intelligence. Too much on their careers. Man's living good. The Chaldeans, they got it going. Right? Babylon, they're, they're in control. They're taking over country after country. We don't need God. Mankind, in general. You got it going pretty good, right? You have a good job. You got things going well. I don't need God to provide for me. I provide for myself. I'll pull myself up from my own bootstraps, right? It's the attitude. It's real easy to get. It's real easy to get this attitude of, yeah, I mean, I've been really blessed in this life. And I think just about anybody in this room could could say the same thing. For one thing, I mean, look at where we live. I mean, America, we have our problems, but let's face it. This is a lot better place than a lot of places in the earth where a dollar a day is an average wage. Where 98% of your money goes to just try to feed your family and you have nothing else. That's most of the world. So we're all pretty blessed, right? And it's real easy to say, well, yeah, but I have what I have because of my hard work. I've worked really hard for it. And that may be true. But where did your work ethic come from? Where did your ability to work come from? Well, yeah, but I'm really smart. I, I, I went and learned how to do it. Yeah, where did that intelligence come from? Where did the education come from? It all goes back to God. But he says here, they, they sacrifice to their dragnets. They worship their, their, their career. They worship their ability to go in. He's actually being symbolic here. They're going in and they're taking over countries. And they sacrifice to the fact, to their war gods and to their idols. Are we really that much different than them? Was Israel really much different? See, Habakkuk's, Habakkuk's complaint is that here you're bringing in this country that's a lot worse than us. It's a lot more wicked than us. But the reality is they weren't. They may have looked more wicked because they were more perverse in the external showings. They were more aggressive. But in their hearts, they were all equally wicked. That's why Israel had fell back into idolatry. That's why Jehoiakim had not done what was right in the sight of the Lord. And so he's saying, this is mankind. This is what they do. 
And he says in verse 17, the Chaldeans will consume one nation and empty the net and cast it again to consume another nation. They're never satisfied. And apart from God's grace in my life, I can attest to you that I would be the same way. There would never be enough stuff. Has anybody dealt with that before? Has anybody dealt with materialism in this room before? I would submit that we all have in one way or another. I want to get this, and I want to get this, and you want to accumulate all of these things, and there's never enough of it. And that's what we see with the Chaldeans, only instead of cars and houses and video games with them, it was countries. And it was countries because they had the power to do it. They had the, the strength, and God was allowing them, and he was actually using them. But it was never enough. And so Habakkuk asked the question, how long will this go on? And again, be careful what you ask for. Because you remember how this whole thing got started. How long are you going to allow this? Well, now God says, I'm going to put an end to this idolatry of Israel. And it's going to be overcome by the idolatry of another nation. You can't make this stuff up. And so Habakkuk says, well, how long, how long is that going to be? And then he says in chapter 2, he says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And so now the prophet has asked his, his question. And he does something that's really wise here. He says, I'm going to go out to my tower, I'm going to go here, and I'm going to wait for an answer. But we can see exactly the tone and nature of his statements in the last word of that verse. The last word of verse 1, it wasn't answer my question. It was the answer concerning my complaint. He was complaining against God. He didn't like the way God was bringing this judgment. And can you blame him? I wouldn't like it either. I would, I, and I have a tendency I've noticed about myself to complain against God as well. But he, he does something really wise here and he says, I'm going to go, I'm going to sit in my tower, I'm going to wait. There's times, I think, when we need to just quit trying to figure out what God's doing. Or we need to quit trying to figure out a solution at times and just be still. We need to just be still and wait upon the Lord. That's what they were doing in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And what did God give them? He gave them the Holy Spirit. As an answer. Habakkuk here, he's been complaining, he's been asking these questions, he's been bringing all these things out, and finally he says, you know what, I'm going to go sit in the tower, and I'm going to just be still, I'm going to stop trying to figure out the solution, I'm going to stop trying to figure out what you're doing, I'm just going to wait on you, Lord, and then in verse 2, he gets his answer. And the Lord answered me, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. He goes, get ready. Get your pen out. 
Because I'm going to give you the answer. It's so solid of an answer that you need to put it on stone that everybody that you come in contact with needs to read this because why? It's a warning. He says, he who reads it may run. Once you read this, you can get out. It's a warning to the nation of Israel. This judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Now, how much does this apply to our lives today? It's coming. And I know that some of you have been like I have. And when you look at the sin that's going on around us and how long, oh Lord, are you going to allow this? Paul and I talk about every day at school. We find new sinful practices that are going on amongst the high school kids. And it's like, wow. I mean, I was thinking about it the other day. I've been teaching high school for 15 years. I would love to go back and teach again 15 years ago. That's how much it has devolved. That's how much it has digressed in 15 years as far as just general morality goes. This sinful world is ramping up. And I know that some of you are tired of it. And you're saying, how long, O Lord, before this comes? Well, the judgment is coming. It's just as sure as it was for Habakkuk that it's coming. And we can go back and read just how swift and mighty it was. It's coming just, it's just as sure to happen. Verse 3 says, For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie if it seems slow. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. It's coming in its appointed time. And its appointed time, remember, is God's time. And God's time... He doesn't operate like we do. Praise the Lord that he doesn't. He doesn't get rushed. He doesn't get hurried. It's steadfast. It's solid. He's operating outside of our time. Remember, he created this time. He can stop it. He can make it turn backwards. Remember? So he has his appointed time and it's coming. But because God's judgment is not always swift like we think it is, because he tarries, the wicked think this. The wicked people in this earth, they think that God does not see. They'll start telling themselves, God doesn't see. Or they think that he does not care. Or for a period of time, they start to feel like they're getting away with it. The more you do a crime... And don't get caught, the more likely you are to do that crime the next time. The more you do that crime the next time and don't get caught, the more you you drink it down. You drink that sin down. And it's the same. That's a crime, but it's the same way. I mean, you can see it with law enforcement. They know that. Sooner or later, they get sloppy and they catch them. It's the same way with us and sin. The more we do it and don't get caught, the more we are bold in doing it the next time. Because our minds work in this way where God hasn't judged me so I can get away with it. He's not going to let sin go unpunished. He's not going to let crimes go unpunished. He's a just God. But then the righteous, even those of us who belong to Christ, sometimes we'll think that our prayers are going unheard. Or sometimes we'll get it in our mind, well, 
it doesn't pay to live right. Has anybody ever dealt with that? Be honest with yourself. You've been in a business and you're doing everything right and the guy down the street is cheating and lying and doing everything wrong and his business is flourishing and yours is struggling. Happens all the time. And we believe this lie that our prayers are going unheard. Now we wouldn't say that because we all know that's not true according to the word. But in our hearts, in our minds, it, it, it dwells. Or we start thinking, man, what's the point? What's the point of doing it right? That guy, man, if I just go a little bit over the line, man, I could, I could finally get ahead. I could finally get caught up. Right? My time is not your time, he says. Be still. His ways are higher than our ways. The judgment will come. Be sure of it. In verse 4, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And this verse right here, I think, is the pinnacle of the whole book. I think this is the verse that the entire book of Habakkuk hinges on. Does that sound familiar? The righteous shall live by faith. Other translations would say the just shall live by faith. It probably sounds familiar to you. It's in Romans. Did you know Paul was quoting Habakkuk? When he wrote that, and how we overlook these small books. But we see here that those who lived puffed up, those who are proud, those who are dependent on themselves, they're, they're going to end in destruction. However, those who put their faith in the Lord, those who have been justified, those who have been made righteous, they will live. How will they live by faith? Look, let's turn over to Romans chapter 1. Romans 1 verse 16. So you want to know how the righteous are going to live by faith or how the, the just is going to live by faith. It's, it's answered here. See, like I said earlier, Habakkuk, he probably didn't see it as clear as Paul did. Because Paul was looking backwards to the cross. Paul had understood the gospel in its entirety. Habakkuk was still seeing forward, trying to see it clearly. But here we can see it clearly as Paul teaches it in Romans 1. Look at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. How do you avoid this judgment? It's the same as it was in Habakkuk's time. It's the same for us to avoid the judgment. Write it down in a stone. It's right there in verse 16. It's by the gospel of Christ. It says the righteous shall live by faith. Is there any righteous? No. There's none righteous. No, not one. So how does this come together? How is this possible? If there's none righteous, but the righteous shall live by faith. We have a, a problem here. We have a gap that we can't explain. Except that 
the gospel explains it. We become righteous by the righteousness of Christ. Right? When he died on the cross, do you remember what he said? He said, My Lord, why have you forsaken me? That was when, it was at that moment, we, we, I don't remember what song it was in that we sang it today. The wrath of God was satisfied. He received the sin of all of his people. Every single one of them. Every single sin. It, it, we sang it in it as well with our soul. Our sin, not in part, but the whole. Every single one of them, every sin you've ever committed or ever will commit when you are in Christ was nailed to that cross. He bore the punishment for it. And in exchange, we call it the great exchange, he imputed his righteousness on us. So when God looks down on you, he no longer sees your sin. It's gone because he saw your sin on Christ. But when he looks down on you, he now sees a covering of Christ's righteousness. And that's what he's talking about here. He's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. How do you come into this? You believe in it. I remember in the first four verses, we talked about righteousness. We talked about salvation and justification. And I said this, and it's it's so true. If when you talk about your justification, and your righteousness. And you're trying to fit yourself into this statement. For if in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, and the just shall live by faith, if you're trying to put your name in there, and you're doing it by any manner other than Christ's righteousness, if you think of anything on why I should be saved, why should you be saved? And you come up with anything other than Christ's righteousness other than the lord thought it good for that to be other than his work on the cross then you're in sin then you're in error and i and i even i made this statement and you need to repent and if you can't repent on that repent of that then you're probably not saved I know that sounds harsh, but it's reality because it is by Christ alone and it is by faith alone. That's why he says the just shall live by faith. And that that word, as we look at that, there's two there's two meanings here. It's like a dual meaning. The just shall live by faith. It's faith alone in Christ alone that you're saved in the first place. So that's how your salvation comes. That's how you live while everybody else is going to be destroyed. And it was that way in Israel when God was giving this to Habakkuk. But what Habakkuk may or may not have realized, I don't know, was that this was much larger than Babylon invading Israel. This was much larger than the Chaldeans coming in and taking a bunch of captives. No, this was pointing to the ultimate judgment. That was a picture of God's judgment. We're going to get the full thing at some point. But he says, the just shall live by faith. And it's faith in Christ that you avoid that judgment. But then it's also how we live our life. It's going forward from this point on. From the point of Christ 
on, we shall live by faith. It's belief. It's believing in God. Remember Habakkuk's name is Embracer, Embracer of God. And I I know that you believe in God. But the question is, do you believe God? Do you believe what he says? And you can almost insert, you can almost change that word to trust. Do you trust him? Do you trust him in these times of trials? Do you trust him in these times of despair? Do you trust him in times when, the, when things are going good? Or do you turn to other means? When, when life gets really hard, do you turn to something else? That's, that's why drugs and alcohol exist. Or that's why the addiction exists. Sometimes the beginning of it is because everything's going great and, hey, let's celebrate. But either way, you're not trusting in God. And so to live our life by faith is to trust Him even when, as Habakkuk is learning, even when it seems like He is slow to act. Even when it seems like He is not there. There's times when my prayers... It feels like God is embracing me, like he's holding me. And I, when I pray to him, he I mean, it's just like he's right there listening. And there's other times when I pray when it feels like he's so far away, I, I don't even know. But that's why we hold to the word of God. There's going to be times when God will pull back to teach us, and there's going to be times when he will pull in to teach us and to embrace us, but he will never leave us, and that's what's, that's what's critical to know. By the word of God, we know that he will never leave, it, leave us, and so the just shall live by faith. We must continue in that trusting of God through whatever high points and low points of our Christian walk. Let's pray. Father, Lord, forgive me, it, it just so inadequate. Lord, I, I the walk as I go through the world, as I go through my life and I realize I am so far from this, I can see myself in the bad points of Habakkuk. I can see myself in his faults very clearly. And I ask you, I ask you, God, today that you would help me to live this out. That you would help me to do what Habakkuk did and be still and wait on you. And that you would help me to trust you. That you would help us all to trust you. Help us all, help us all to see you and your worthiness. And, and use it for your glory, Lord, as, as I certainly am unfit, am unworthy, and unqualified to proclaim it. However, that your Holy Spirit can explain it, and I pray that it would take root in hearts and that they would apply it, that we would apply it in our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.